Welcome to The Fastest Five Minutes, presented by Kroll & Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Yuan Zhou, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. There was a big executive order out last week, and I'll turn it over to Yuan for an update on that order. Yuan, over to you. Thanks, Peter. Now, following a series of highly publicized cybersecurity incidents this year, on May 12th, the Biden administration issued an executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity. The EO seeks to strengthen the government's cybersecurity defense posture and calls for the creation of new cyber standards, as well as updates to civilian and defense procurement requirements. So the EO includes a broad array of cyber initiatives for fast-track implementation in partnership with the private sector. A few examples include requiring mandatory breach reporting to the government, applicable to both contractors and cloud service providers, or CSPs, that access federal information systems. It includes implementing mandatory multi-factor authentication, encryption, and logging requirements for federal information systems that are applicable to contractors operating on networks on behalf of the government. It includes creating a software supply chain security standard that includes a consumer software labeling program focused on secure software development practices that will impact federal software acquisitions. And it includes modernizing security practices, including Zero Trust Act architecture and accelerated movement to secure cloud services through FedRAMP. Now, notably, the EO also establishes a Cyber Safety Review Board to provide the government with greater authorities to investigate significant cyber incidents occurring on contractor and CSP networks, and it seeks to standardize a playbook for incident response activities, which will create a new standard of care for private industries and government contractors. Now, the EO directs the government to prioritize these initiatives over the next year, with some actions to be implemented within the next 30 days. So contractors really need to be aware that increased cybersecurity and information security practices are here to stay. Peter? Great. Thanks, Yuan. Uh, we now turn to GSA schedule news. On April 27th, GSA announced its intention to expand the federal supply schedule transactional data reporting pilot. That transactional data reporting program is sometimes known as TDR. And it's based on several consecutive years of positive evaluation results. Since 2016, GSA has studied the potential for TDR to replace the various requirements that schedule contractors must currently fulfill to ensure the pricing offered to GSA customers is fair and reasonable, including, for example, making commercial sales practice disclosures, tracking commercial pricing and discounts to the negotiated basis of award customer, under the price reductions clause and other things of that sort. Based on the evaluation data, GSA reported it has successfully demonstrated the value of the TDR pilot program. For example, for three consecutive years, contract level pricing was better when TDR was used was compared against contract level pricing under a most favored customer pricing model. GSA now seeks to build these pilot programs into a broader strategy and will train contracting officers on the benefits of having access to more granular prices paid and information to support efforts with management guidance. Yuan, over to you to talk about a protest. 
Thanks, Peter. So turning to a recent case on OCIs, on May 6, the Court of Federal Claims denied essentials protest over a $282 million Department of Energy IT contract that was awarded to GBIT. Now, Essential argued that GBIT had access to non-public information and had a competitive advantage in the underlying procurement because a GBIT employee who assisted in the initial stages of the proposal effort was married to a division director in the DOE's Office of the Chief Financial Officer. Now, early on in the procurement, however, the GBIT employee was removed from the proposal effort and the DOE employee was recused from the solicitation as well. So based on the record, the Court of Federal Claims held that the DOE contracting officer reasonably determined that any potential organizational conflicts of interest arising from the married employee's involvement with the procurement was sufficiently mitigated, and GTIT was not given unequal access to information. Now, the court acknowledged that while a marriage between an agency employee and an offeror's employee could create the appearance of a conflict, the government is entitled to reasonable discretion on the actions needed to mitigate any potential OCIs. Now, here, the recusal of the DOE employee was sufficient based on the underlying facts, and the absence of any additional agency action in response to essential suspicions, without more, didn't render the CO's decision to be arbitrary or capricious. Peter? Great. We've got two more items to briefly mention. The first is that uh, on May 13th, the CDC revised its interim public health recommendations for fully vaccinated people. This has gotten a lot of coverage in the press, but here's what I want to mention, which is that these changes are really leading to a many questions and uh, concerns for government contractors in particular. Um, we are holding webinars on May 18th and 20th, it's a two-part webinar, to talk about what the implications are. Um, second, another item of interest to many of our listeners is that the Department of Treasury published an interim final rule to provide guidance on the Coronavirus State Fiscal Recovery Fund and the Coronavirus Local Fiscal Recovery Fund established under the American Rescue Plan. To facilitate implementation of these funds, the interim final rule establishes a framework for determining the types of programs and services that are eligible under the rescue plan, along with eligible uses that state, local, tribal governments can consider. While the state, local, and tribal governments have flexibility to determine how best to use these funds to meet the demands of their communities and populations. The funding has a number of strings attached, including, um, in many cases, the uniform administrative requirements, cost principles, and audit requirements for federal awards from 2 CFR Part 200. So lots of opportunities, lots of things to think about. Um, we'll be putting out a client alert shortly on that. Uh, but if you have questions, let us know. And with that, we will wrap up. This has been the Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. See you again in two weeks. If you have questions about these items, I can be reached at 202-624-2807, and Yuan can be reached at 202-624-2666. Thanks so much for joining. The Fastest Five Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast.